Greetings, humans. You have entered the command zone, your destination for all aspects of Elder Dragon Highlander. Enjoy your stay. Uno, dos, tres. Whoop, 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 whoop. Music, music, music. Coming in the top of the show. And we've arrived. <laughs> you know what I was thinking about last night for some reason? I was thinking about like how we always sing a song at the beginning of every episode. Yeah. And then we were playing Oath Draft, and I was looking at the waist, and it has the little diamond symbol. And I, for some reason, just stuck in my head all night was, Rock shine bright fella. like a diamond. <laughs> shine bright like a diamond. We are shining Beautiful bright like a diamond. like diamonds in the sky. It just like over and over. And I don't know the words to that whole song, so then I could just only get that those three lines, and then I would just have to start over. It's maddening. That is maddening. That shine happens sometimes like with songs I never want to hear again, like like Shine Bright Like a Diamond. Shine well, Bright Like always a... the songs you never want to hear again. Yeah, exactly. You they never get... get an awesome song that you know all the words to stuck in your head because you would sing the whole song and then be done. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Instead, you're just stuck in the endless co- uh, chorus loop. Yeah, because you don't know the rest of it, so you have to start over. That is the best part. You of never the song, get to though. the end. Yeah, it's true. Anyway, how's it going, everybody? Uh, you are listening to the Command Zone. Uh, I'm your host, Jimmy Wong. How's it? It's Josh Lee Kwai. And we have a special guest, Craig Blanchett. What up? It's Craig Blanchett. Back in the house again. Craig, it's been a long time since you've been on the show. Good riddance. I mean, uh, so good to have you back. Craig, this is what, six, seven times you've been on, maybe? Yeah, something like that. And we're going to keep it going. Hell yeah, as we should. We can get up to 10. Love Commander. We can get up to 10. If you're on 10, you're on basically 10% of our episodes. Oh, that's true. We are getting close to episode 100. Oh, crap. We got to think of nice. what we're going to do for episode 100. Actually, I mean, if you guys have any ideas out there of what we should do for episode 100, we'd love to hear it. Because we would. We, we have some ideas of our own, but I don't know how... Live ADH game. Everyone no, keeps saying that. keeps saying that. It's so hard to actually... Like, we want an idea that we could actually pull off. I don't... I'm not saying we couldn't, but the logistics of that are tough. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, we'll see what happens. We have ideas kicking around uh, on our in our heads, so we'll uh, they may come to fruition, they may not. But yeah, definitely let us know on Twitter, in the comments, wherever. If you guys have any special ideas, I have a couple of uh, special ideas that just kicked to my head actually, right when we were talking about it. But ooh, now I'm excited. Yeah, well, you don't benefit directly off it. I don't benefit directly off it. No, because it's pr- it's probably giveaway related. Oh, it's prizes. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're definitely going to do that in episode 100. So make sure you don't miss it. But it, yeah. It'd be nice to do something special that we, something that we can't do all the time. Exactly. I don't know what that is. Bring Clarig Blanchett on the show. Yeah. <laughs> all right. All right. Let's get to the let's get into the upkeep step. We have some announcements. Kitchen table fables, guys. Have you seen it yet? Did everyone in this podcast go and watch our new web series about Magic the Gathering? It's they're short comedy sketches. They're ninety seconds long. It won't take you, but a blink of an eye to go yep. watch them. Um, Go to our YouTube page, YouTube slash uh, the Command Zone Podcast. You got it. You made it. Yep, Jimmy gave me the look like, are you going to remember the URL? <laughs> and like, I do did. we have to have Terry edit this? <laughs> are we getting to get there? Yeah, so we have three episodes, uh, and you can watch them all in the playlist. Make sure you guys share them as well. That really helps out the show. And you know, show them to a friend that even doesn't play Magic and see if they laugh at it, because I, I, that's kind of our hope, is to bring people in that don't even know anything about Magic. And, spoiler, can I say it? I'm gonna, just going to say it. We are in talks to do more. In talks, yeah. We talked to the studio. Uh, they got back to us. They uh, gave us some promising feedback. And, yep, so we're going through the uh, green light process. The studio is just the text messages between myself it's, and Josh. And Professor. And Professor, yeah. And some unnamed other magic personalities. Yeah, very exciting. Craig, have you seen them yet? 
I have not. I remember what? you guys talking about it. Here, him. get off the show. Get off the show. Wait, oh. Craig, start talking. Okay, I'm, I'm going to go, guys. Keep I'm talking. Sorry. Yeah, that's right. I'm just turning I'm down your microphone until really you just can't even hear Craig anymore. <laughs> Craig, Craig, what'd you say? <laughs> what'd you say, Craig? You can't hear you. So I thought they were really good. I, uh, you know. <laughs> oh, he's back on the show, everybody. <laughs> yeah, welcome back, Craig. Um, also, last week, you guys gave some great feedback uh, for our bandworthy episode. Obviously, we knew that this was going to be a sort of a controversial topic. Don't worry, though. We don't have any effect on what cards get banned. Yeah, we got a lot of comments and some emails saying, hey, guys, stop talking about those cards. I don't want them to get banned. I know. They're not, don't worry. We don't have that kind of power. I feel like Yet. it's like taboo, though, because I feel the same way. It's like I'll, I will hold myself back from saying that, like, Sarah Ascendon should be banned, you know, because it's like I don't want it to happen, so I don't want to say it, even though I just did. You don't want to put it into the uh, the nether. Exactly. You just said it to, like, tens of thousands of people. I know. I know. Okay, just F- Soul Ring, too. Oh, yeah. uh. Well, Soul Ring, I think, actually should go. Listen. Here's the thing. It opens they, up spots for, for your deck. So, like, I was kind of thrilled about the Prophet of Crucifix because it was broken. You know what I mean? Like, You were thrilled? I was thrilled too. I don't actually. play blue green too much, so I wasn't like it wasn't, and it doesn't really like it goes an infect deck, but it's best? not like an essential for an uh, infect deck. Yeah, I wasn't thrilled about profit, but I was fine with it. I saw it coming. Listen, here's the key point: we didn't talk about a single card that the rules committee does not already know about. I yeah, promise that exactly. they've already considered those cards. Anything we say is going to have no bearing on whether or not they ban it. So. That's why today's episode is exciting, though, because we're going to talk about cards that maybe the rules committee just doesn't think about. Or that a lot of you out there hopefully don't know about or haven't played or haven't seen. Yeah, these are going to be the pet cards. We all have them. Those cards that we love. We put them in every deck. And then you notice when you play them, you realize at some point, wait, I'm like the only person in my playgroup that plays this card. Yeah, I know. It's kind of silly. Don't they know how awesome this card is? Well, you don't want them to know because it's your pet card, not theirs. That you draw it and you're like, I should probably do the ramp first, but this is just so cool. (laughs) There is this great feeling, though, when one of your pet cards starts to get adopted by the other players in your playgroup and you're like, oh, yeah, you guys will learn that card is awesome. And it's like, you're the trendsetter. You're the hipster. That definitely happened with Fate Stitcher between us. Yeah, Glacial Chasm, where I've started to see. There's a few oh, of the, yeah. yeah, there's a few of the cards. Swan Song, mm-hmm. I think, I feel like, you know, for me personally. And there's other cards that have gone the other way where I've been like, you know, from both of you, oh, man, I need to put that card in all my decks. Yeah. Uh, What's that green enchantment you play that just pops creatures out? Oh, every the, time somebody uh, Pattern plays, of Rebirth. Oh, man, that card's so good. Well, Pattern of Rebirth, oh, no, there's no. also... Oh, right, right. You're talking about Lurking Predators. Yeah, Lurking yeah, Predators. That, that thing is just so much value anytime it's out. Good card. Anyway, uh, but before we get into our pet cards... Uh, both of the Gatewatch came out, and we're we past had drafted a lot. Yeah, it was great. Um, we had we just sat around the table with six people, and we all bought product, and we we're like, well, instead of just cracking boosters, needlessly, let's just draft them, play a quick round, and then draft again. And what yeah. was awesome was we did a lot of two-headed giant, which was sweet. They mm-hmm. obviously they, uh, as we know, they developed a lot of this set to be around two-headed giant, and when we did, it was so much fun, so much fun with the surge and whatnot. It definitely affected how I drafted one v one. Big time. Not in a good way. <laughs> the red-blue and uh, white-black combo was just unbelievable. That's how... That was the thing. Two of the Giants, super fun. But by the third one, I was like, oh, everyone just builds the red-blue uh, or the blue-based control deck with a lot of counterspells and then uh, some version of a black-white allies deck that's grindy and, and doesn't win by attacking. And yeah. the, those are the two decks that all teams build. In fact, we played a three-way two-headed giant, so six players, three teams of two, and every team had the same basic constructs of decks i mean there were slight differences because everybody opens different bombs but yeah yeah, 
And and it was fun, but then that made me realize, oh, the two-headed giant format maybe doesn't have a long longe- a lot of longevity because there's this one correct way it feels like to go. Yeah, exactly. But the draft format, it's interesting. We've all had a little trouble with it so far. Yeah, I, it took me a little while. I feel like we drafted again last night, and I feel like that was the first time where I was like, I felt like, okay, I get the format. Yeah, same here. But the first, we must have drafted it four or five times. Because like Jimmy was saying, we just um, would draft and then only play one round and then draft again because we wanted to get as many reps in with the actual Also, drafting. our decks, or at least my decks, almost every time were just utter garbage. Yeah, they just felt like they weren't, <laughs> they weren't working together at all. I tried to do some stuff. I tried a, um, a red-white deck? equipment yeah. deck, and that was kind of bad and didn't work. <laughs> I tried a blue-red surge deck, which was cool, but it wasn't super super powerful i mean it could win some games but i don't think against a real like solid yeah. deck the good decks we know in the format now are black white allies and like blue white out al- blue white flyers allies blue as well. white flyers blue black control there's also a green white um support deck that's pretty strong mm-hmm. i don't think the blue red surge deck could really beat uh any of a good version of any of those decks yeah but it was cool i mean i was drawing extra cards and you know i had the pyromancers assault out and every second spell i'd do two damage Problem is, everything has three toughness. Uh, such a shame. So you can't actually kill anything with that extra two damage. Anyway, uh, super fun times. I, I like the draft format so far. It's super grindy, though. Yep, it's grindy. Uh, green got a big boost, I think, in Oath. And I'm still figuring it out. I did much better yesterday playing a three-color deck um, because I got two Pilgrim's Eyes. And I was like, well, I guess I'm splashing. Well, and there's um, Unknown Shores. There's Holdout, holdout Settlement. Settlement. And... There's Wastes, a, Crumbling Vestige also. Crumbling Vestige is okay, but there's a lot of Unknown Shores and Holdout Settlements. And I think, because last night I played a Converge sort of mm-hmm. variant. It was mostly black-white allies, but also had green, also had blue. And because of those cards, I was able to play a lot of colors. And then the Converge cards get way better in the Battle for Zendikar pack. So that deck yep. is super fun. I don't think it's like the most powerful. Like It's not going to be a well-tuned black-white allies deck, but yeah. super fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Craig, how'd you do yesterday? Did pretty good. I uh, I enjoy playing, like, splashing for the colorless. I keep getting stuck in, like, black-white, the Allies deck, just because I got it for the, uh, the pre-release. So in my sealed deck, I opened up two of the Alei or whatever. Oh, Alei, Eternal Pilgrim. Yeah, two of them. With the Shuffle Your Graveyard into your library flyer, the 6-6 flyer. did you also open an expedition? I did. So it was a very lucky night, streak. but I went undefeated that night because the white black, the black removal like was insane for my, for my deck. And then with the white allies, you can, you don't even have to attack. You can just kind of whittle them down and gain life. And I think I've done that three or four times in the drafts and it's, it's done well for me. I enjoy playing that way and I'm allowed to kind of splash for colorless for some Eldrazi if I get them or anything like that, which has been super fun. Yeah, that's another thing that makes this set really complicated is there's this sixth color, mm-hmm. and like you don't get to just add as much of that as you want. So figuring out when to take those lands, yeah, it's when to play the the black the black guy that pay one life, add one colorless. It's got or, colorless fire breathing, basically. Right. Yeah, and a lot of cards sort of, they either require a diamond mana to cast or they require diamond mana to activate their ability. And those... Yeah. So that's two different kinds of cards that use colorless in a different way. So when do I take those cards? When do I take the colorless mana producing cards? It gets pretty complicated. I think there's going to be a lot of complexity to learning that aspect of it. 
Yeah, it's cool. I'm glad that they're adding complexity to draft. Usually, uh, it it is not filled with this much complexity. So um, it, it makes me happy to see a format that requires a little bit of time to figure out. I don't know if I like it yet, though, but we'll find out. The, the only way you can really find out is just by playing more and more and seeing where you sort of end up on it. it there are a ton of board stalls, and it's the games tend to go long, but I like grindy magic, so mm-hmm. I like that. But I understand, you know, our friend Wes, he he's like hates it so far because every game is like five creatures staring at five creatures and everybody going like, well, I can't attack. Yeah, exactly. Draw, go. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so should we uh, talk a little bit about Secret Partners before we jump into pet cards as well? Oh, yeah. Secret Partners. We were talking about doing an episode about this, but I don't think it's a whole show. You say this every time there's a topic, and (laughs) there's always enough for a whole show. This feels like there really isn't. (laughs) Because I went to sort of break down how to do a show about it, and I'm just like, there's not much meat there. We've had a lot of people ask about Secret Partners because we talked about it before and what it is, and... So we just thought we'd go over what it is. In fact, Craig, you're the guy that introduced me to Secret Partners. Um, we use it a lot when there's more players. So especially mm-hmm. if there's like six or more players. Secret- I learned how to do it when I got back into Magic a couple of years ago around Innistrad. I brought all my cards to a card shop to sell them, and somebody convinced me to start playing. They were like, you have a lot of one-ofs. You should play EDH. So I started going there, and they the only way that they would play at the card shop was Secret Partners because it... As you're about to say, it really speeds up games. Um, it's kind of like the blinds in poker, almost like it creates mm-hmm. action. So let's explain how it works. You want to explain? Yeah. Sh- so secret partners uh, usually you want to play with five or more pre- uh, people. Is essentially a format that has people on teams and uh, teammates, and then you're facing off against another team and usually a lone wolf. So with five players, what you would do is you would take five cards, you would take three lands, and two face-up cards. The two face-up cards just need to be the color of two of the lands. So you could have a white card, a plains, a black card, a, a swamp, and then a mountain. You would dish the cards out upside down so that no one knows what they are and show them to everyone. And you would say, all right, if you have a face, you have, your card is going to be face up if it's not a mana. So if Craig got the black card, he would flip it up like, I'm this. And then the person with the swamp would be on their team. But, neither, but only the person on the swamp knows that Craig's on his team. And the same goes for the person that has the planes and the person that has the white face-up card. And the red player is the lone wolf. And essentially, the, your goal is to win with your teammate, but you don't want to reveal who your teammate is because you're immediately going to essentially create the table and cause them to turn against you, knowing that you're the team. You're, you're not, so technically, you're not supposed to say the you, words like, I'm your teammate. Right. Um, you can sort of imply it if you want to and things like that, but you're not supposed to say explicitly, I'm your teammate. So in your example, the guy with the swamp would be, or the girl would be teamed up with Craig. They can't go like Craig, you and me, we're on teams. So Craig never a hundred percent knows who the teammate is. He can imply it from the way that they're playing, but I've done things and, and we all have where you're not the teammate with the person, but you sort of like fake them out and they think you're their teammate and that can sort of help you down the line. So even like early in the game, you do something for them and sort of give them a little look and they're like, Oh, that must be my teammate. And then for the whole rest of the game, they're playing incorrectly because you're not actually their teammate. Yep. The best lone wolves are like, Josh, you're a very good uh, political player. The best lone wolves are very political. Well, they'll be like, oh, well, you know, I'll help you out with this because, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then later in the game, attack that same person. Yada, yep. Yada. 
Yeah. So it's tough for uh, sort of everyone. And the way that works is that the people that have face up cards know that they're not in the same team. And the people that have face down cards know that they are not on the same team. So it automatically gives you a person to swing at that you can safely attack and not mistakenly attack your teammate. So that in it in its own already speeds up the game by a significant amount. Yeah, that's that drives action because it's not like a normal game of five player where you're going to be able to just sit there. You know this person's my opponent. Mm-hmm. Then the three people with face down cards, I don't know which one of them is my opponent. So it makes it very easy when I've got to attack. I'm going to attack the person who I know is my opponent. Yeah. And, and same with the people with face down. And we've even played two separate versions of this, one where your teammate stays in even if you get out, and the other where if one person's out, both both players are out. And so just that variation, I think, is kind of fun to play around with too. I always advocate for staying in, but that's Because you me. don't like to get knocked out when your I opponent gets I hate it. Oh, knocked. my yeah. goodness, yeah. Well, but sometimes it, people just die in magic. <laughs> I mean, sometimes it's me that gets taken out too, so... I mean, if you want the games to go faster, then you play the variation where if either teammate gets knocked out, you're both gone. And if you have a little bit more, you know, a like more to, time, then you do it the other way. I'd yeah. like to run the numbers on that and see if, if both teammates are out, if that's advantageous for the lone wolf. You, I'm sure it probably is not because if it just means one other team, a full team is in and they can immediately establish, oh, we're on the same team. The lone right. wolf just gets iced because it's 2v1 very quickly. Right. Yeah, I think it would be tougher for the lone wolf. Although, on the other hand, if they play it right, they only have to convince one person right. mm-hmm. that they're on their team. Yeah. So we've definitely seen the thing where uh, they're like, you know, the person's like, I don't know which one is my partner, and they can't say, and they're like, well, remember when I did this thing for you? And the guy's like, well, remember when I did this thing for you? And that, you know, it's like uh, one of those movies where somebody's like facing off against their own clone, and then somebody else comes in, and they're like, no, I'm the real one. No, I'm the real one. It's, it's like, face-off, essentially, yeah. <laughs> the scene when the daughter's pointing the gun at the dads. We the just watched that recently. Off. off. The face. I want to take his face off. off. <laughs> anyway, Secret Partners is a lot of fun. We recommend that you guys at least try it out. All you need to do is have, with five players, again, three lands, and then uh, two face-up cards that are not lands that match two of the lands. That and if sense. there's six players, you can either do three teams, or you can do... Two teams and two lone wolves. I don't know if we... The lone wolf wins if they're the last the last player standing. And yep. if there's two lone wolves, they don't they're win. They're on the same team. Oh, the lone wolves are on the same team? Yes. Well, isn't that just the same as having two? They're oh. not lone wolves then. We didn't play it that way when we did the six players. Oh, <laughs> uh, That's how we used to play, which you're right. I, I didn't even really think about that. That's basically just a third team. The only difference is there's four face down and two face up. Right. So that way the you lone can, wolves never really know who their teammate is. Right. It makes oh. it harder for the face up people to really realize who it is. But then again, if you're face up, you're much more likely to get out much sooner. So Clearly it's a variant. So you can play with all of these little like things like the lone wolves could be on the same team. They could mm-hmm. not be on the same team. You could have when somebody gets knocked out, their whole team's out. Or you can say, oh one teammate can be all by themselves at the end and that whole team wins however you want to do it i do recommend trying it it does speed up games too so definitely if you're five players or more it will make it go quicker instead of getting one game in in a night you might get three yep there's gonna be a whole episode on this soon isn't there i don't know i don't know if there's anything (laughs) else more to say actually there is some strategy that's specific to secret partners but i don't think it's worth going into here It, it you know it's you're just not going to do it all. It's like playing chase cards, right? You're going to do it sometimes to spice up your gameplay, but you're not going to do it that much. Yeah, it definitely does help make games go faster. Anyway, we should move on to the main topic because it's a good one. Pet cards, guys. It's exciting. Cards that we love, cards that we put in our decks that other people may not have, cards that we sometimes even force into some of our decks. 
Uh, we've talked about some of these before. Uh, we had an episode with Wedge called Overperformers, and I'd say a lot of those cards sort of fit in the same category as these pet cards. I definitely made my list and then went back and checked that <laughs> episode, and it was like, crap, three of these cards I already talked about on that episode. So that was the episode with Wedge. It's called Overperformers. I would, if you like this one, then it's almost like a, a prequel to yep. this episode. It's episode 22, so we uh, definitely go back in time. And I will just say that at least one of my cards is on my overperformers list. Are oh, you talking about a card twice? Yeah, because it's just my favorite. I know which one it is. Yeah, it's my favorite, and it's my first. And <laughs> yeah. that's where we will start. <laughs> Friends, family, we are gathered here today to discuss Greater Gargadon. Did Greater Gargadon pass away? No. Well, it's suspended. <laughs> it's it's on the way back. Uh, Greater Gargadon, uh, if you guys don't know, it's nine and a red for a nine seven creature beast. You're like, wait a second, what? Uh, but here's the thing: it's got suspend ten, and all you have to do is pay one red mana to suspend this card. So you put it in exile, and every single upkeep, you remove a suspend counter from it. And when that suspend counter hits zero, you're able to cast Greater Gargadon. It has haste, and you can cast it for free. So uh, on first glance, this looks terrible. But the main line of text that I love is. Uh, the main part of this card that says sacrifice an artifact creature or land remove a time counter from greater gargadon activate this ability only if greater gargadon is suspended and i like this a lot because you rarely have a sack outlet that can do three different things usually it's sacrifice a creature for something sacrifice a land in this case sacrifice either an artifact creature or land i love to play decks that steal things i love to play decks that also are immune to things being stolen and greater gargadon is one of those great ways to sort of prevent your deck from having things taken from them, or like your commander specifically, because you can sacrifice them at instant speed. And Greater Gargadon at the end of the day also just becomes a 9-7. Yeah, that's, I think, one of the great things, because we always talk about sack outlets on the show and how important they are. And just, like, you would possibly run a card that just allowed you to sack things to no effect. Mm -hmm. It just said, sacrifice a permanent, that's it. That would probably be a decent card. Yeah. This one says that, except for that at the end of it, you get a huge creature. Yeah. And the nice thing is the suspend cost is only one red. So you can play that. You you don't play this turn one, right? Because you don't have anything to sacrifice to it. And you don't really want the suspend counters to go all the way down to zero. So you wait until turn four, turn five, when you can play this and another creature and know that that creature has pseudo protection against someone stealing it. Now, is this uh, an instant speed sack outlet, or yes. is this a sorcery yes. speed? You can, sack out, okay. you can sacrifice at any time to remove a suspend counter. At no cost. Because that's yep. huge, too. Because, yeah. obviously, like the yeah. uh, sadistic hypnotist, you know, someone like sadistic hypnotist, where you can only do it sorcery speed, the effect is huge, but the sorcery speed really keeps it, really holds it back quite a bit. Whereas the instant speed, and as you said, being able to sack three different permanent types, that's that's huge. Yeah, it's very nice. Um, also, I enjoy this card quite a bit because... I don't know. It's just a greater Gargadon. Look at the name. Because at the end, you get a huge creature. In you get mana. a huge creature. It's red. It fulfills all the st- yeah, like so all the Jimmy. requirements. A one mana too. So one mana. Now you can. Yeah. Also, you can start it, you know, if someone some plays stuff. Armageddon, then you at the end of the yep. day, it's kind of like Joyra, where you have something even if all this stuff blows up, you still have something because you now like, oh, the land got blown up. Sacrifice a greater Gargadon. Get extra value off of that. Yep. It's almost like he's talking about the games we played last night, Craig. Because you're talking about Sadistic Hypnotist, which last night he made me discard like 22 cards with. Wow. But I was playing Mizzix, so it was fine. You still won? Yeah. Um, <laughs> he made me discard like 22 cards over two turns, and I just said, yeah, okay, right before I discard, I'll draw 20 cards. And then um, and then I did the Joyra thing where you blow up everybody's lands when you have like 12 things suspended. Because I mean... Decree of Annihilation? Anyway, I had to tell those stories. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. Um, Craig. Craig. 
So you're yeah, up. my first is uh, Helm of Possession. It's an artifact for four to cast. Uh, it says you may choose not to untap Helm of Possession during your untap phase, and two and tap it. Sacrifice a creature. Gain control of target creature as long as you control Helm of Possession, and Helm of Possession remains tapped. So what I really like about this card is, as Jimmy's card, it's a sack outlet that can be used the turn it comes out. We don't have to wait for uh, summoning sickness or anything like that. As long as you have six mana, you can get it off. You can sacrifice a creature for it, but you also get to take control of somebody else's creature, and you don't have to give it up during your untap phase. So I'll use this card a lot in uh, a lot of decks where I want to sacrifice creatures like Crush the Bloodbraided. I'll sacrifice one of my creatures to give him a bunch of counters, then take somebody else's creature, likely sack that to like a Goblin Bombardment or something like that, and just kind of continue the engine. Um, so I really like this card just because it's super versatile, and if there's a threat on the board, I can take control of it. Um, it's any creature, whether it's legendary or not. Um, and I had this on the cutting block with a couple others like um, Empress Galena and uh, Willow Sater. But you again, just love stealing people's I stuff. Stuff. I mean, that's <laughs> Greater Gargadon's looking better by the yeah. second place. <laughs> and uh, the, what really made this one stand out above those is being able to use it turn one and any creature, not turn just one. legendary. Oh, you mean the, the turn you cast it. The turn yeah, you yeah. cast I was it. like, holy yeah. crap, turn one. <laughs> You know, as long as you get a soul ring and a, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, with the tuck rule change, the control magic type effects, the take, you know, grab somebody else's creature and now it's yours, mm -hmm. uh, has just gotten way stronger because that's one of the few ways to shut off some of these really powerful decks. Yep. Um, so make sure you run Gregor, Greater Gargadon to dodge somebody's Helm of Possession. Right. And the like. Yeah, but, like but potentially even dodge well, your this, first card. So, yeah, this mine is Dismiss into Dream. It's six and a blue for an enchantment. Each creature your opponents control is an illusion in addition to its other types and has, when this creature becomes the target of a spell or ability, sacrifice it. That's great. So Helm of Possession wouldn't take control of your thing anymore. Of uh, Sorry, it would yours because it's the only opponent's control. But right. if Craig tries to steal Jimmy's creature, when I have Dismiss into Dream Out, Jimmy just has to sacrifice the creature. So that's on the plus side for Jimmy there. But let's say Jimmy is playing Rafik and says, oh, I'm going to put this Sword of Feast and Famine on Rafik. Womp womp. That's an ability. You have to sacrifice Rafik when you do that. Yeah. Let's say that somebody is going to try to, like, tap down your guy with a Fate Stitcher. Oh, you have to sacrifice it. Fate Stitcher now says just destroy target creature. Actually, it's even better because even if it has Indestructible, you have to sacrifice it. So dismissing a dream... I don't see it very often, and I only have it in a couple of my decks. It does cost seven, but it screws up so many decks. Any Voltron deck that's trying to like target their own stuff, done. Can't do yeah. anything. That's why I have Greater Gargadon, so you can sacrifice your permanence to Greater Gargadon. <laughs> but then... <laughs> <laughs> Get rid of a time counter instead of... Yeah. yeah. Actually, I don't know. If you choose... No, it, it's not a target when you just choose to sacrifice something. No, it's not actually a card yeah. in play yet. It's in exile. But when it came into play, if it got targeted with something, then you'd have to sacrifice Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm talking about the, the things that Greater Gargadon wants to sacrifice. They do not become targets. The great thing about Dismissing a Dream is it doesn't affect yours. It's just a creature's opponent's control, so it's all upside. I, I guarantee nice. you, if you play this card, you'll be really surprised. There'll be all those these times when people do something, and you're like, sorry, you got to sack it now. Yeah, and that's, that's nice because everyone's spells turn into pseudo-removal spells as well. Only against each other, but not against you. Yeah. You Maze could... of Ith is a removal spell once this thing's out. Core Haven, there you go. Yep. All right, my second card on the list 
is another one of my favorite cards. I play this in any single deck that has these colors. It's Dax Duplicate. Uh, two, a blue, and a red. It's got the Greatest Thief and the Multiverse on it, and it's turning something into a goblin. Like, it's everything I need. Um, you may have... <laughs> You may have Dax Duplicate enter the battlefield as a copy of any creature on the battlefield, except it gains haste and dethrone. So obviously this in Marchesa is an absolute house because you can copy something and then attack someone with it. But in general, the the putting haste on a copied creature is way more powerful than I think a lot of people realize because if you can steal someone's Crater Hoof, you can steal someone's Kozilek, someone's Ulamog, all of a sudden you have a creature that's doing an insane amount of damage and, and havoc to someone's board that has the potential to get a plus one plus one counter on it the turn that it comes in yeah huge huge especially with my chase out then For, then it becomes a mana, recurring right? four mana yeah two Jeez. a red and a blue there's also a lot of creatures like say um empress galena which you mentioned earlier mm-hmm. if craig plays empress galena and then you dax duplicate yours is actually able to be used because it has haste yep. whereas he had to wait a rotation of the table there's a lot of creatures like that where dax duplicate it's almost like they play a creature and then you're like i have your creature but better yeah that creature would have been good enough or that card would have been good enough just with the haste not even with the dethrone but the dethrone just oh my goodness it just makes it better yeah over the top that's why it's one of my pet cards uh not to mention if you do copy something like an empress galena you're just in such good shape because it's the same colors as yours too yep exactly you could actually use it copy a kiki jiki get double haste (laughs) that's it's way better than haste yeah exactly it's it's super hasty all right craig you're number two so my number two is a white card from the dark called Preacher. It's two white and one other for a 1-1 one, one creature. Um, you may choose not to untap Preacher during your untap step. Tap him for as long as you control Preacher and he remains tapped. Gain control of target creature and opponent's choice he or she controls. So you tap the Preacher, you target a player basically, and they choose one of their creatures and you just have control of it. Right. So hex pr- it gets around Hexproof. Um, it gets around a, f- a few other things, but especially if they only have one creature. You know, there's a lot of times where he's only three mana cost. I can get him out early and or, you know, right after a wrath or something like that, get him out so that by the next turn, if somebody only plays one creature, now I take that. Or there's a lot of players who only play one creature in their deck. So now I take control of their creature. I can sack it. I can do whatever I want with it. Yeah. If you're a Voltron deck or like Mizzix. Even Narset because of the Hexproof. Oh, man, it would so hose Narset because Narset's not built to worry about it because of the Hexproof. Right? Yeah. So, oh, that's actually really good. That's a really good tech against Nar- Narset specifically. Yeah, it is a very powerful card. I love that it forces them to choose a creature. Obviously, it's awful against token decks, but you can also just have this out and then wait for someone to cast another creature. And if that, if you don't want that one, you're like, all right, I'll take your, your other creature that you have. You yeah, and you just don't target the token player, right? Because how often are you going to be in a game with three players or four players, and everybody's playing a token deck? It's not going to yeah. be very often. Yeah, that's yeah, that, two steal spells from you, Craig. I'm sensing a theme over here. We do know, like, <laughs> Craig likes to copy and steal everybody's stuff. I it's a like... cheap way of doing it. I mean, somebody else plays something big, and you're like, mm, "That's pretty. I'll take that." Yeah, that costs you ten mana. Yeah, I'll exactly. take it with my I'll take three it mana for card. Four. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, my number two is calming verse. It's a sorcery. It costs three and a green. It says, destroy all enchantments you don't control. Then, <laughs> then, if you control an untapped land, destroy all enchantments you control. So when you play Calming Verse, you just have to make sure you're tapped out. Yeah. In the old days with Mana Burn, this was much worse. Now there's no Mana Burn, so you can always choose to just tap all of your mana. You know, If you've got five mana, you can tap it all, paying for Calming Verse, even though it only costs four, and then it won't destroy your enchantments also. It's just a one-sided 
enchantment rate. It's Vandal Blast. Yeah, not to mention it's sorcery speed. So yeah. you, you're okay tapping all your mana because you could cast something potentially. And you're in green. You know, green's the color that sort of taps out on its own turn. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's very powerful. It's basically, if you're looking for a Vandal Blast, but for enchantments, this is one of the go-to cards. And it's cheaper than Vandal Blast, mm-hmm. three in the green. Yeah, there's not a ton of this type of effect. There's a lot of destroy all enchantments mm-hmm. or all enchantments and artifacts. There's not a lot of destroy all enchantments your opponents control. Anything where you can take yourself out of the equation, like Cyclonic Rift, Plague Wind, this. Right. I mean, I didn't even know this existed before you just said that. This is awesome. It definitely is awesome. And I would hate to see this in a deck that plays a lot of enchantments because your game is over if this lands. There's almost always three or four Somebody's got a burgeoning. Somebody's got a ley line of something, anticipation. Yeah, exactly. You know, somebody's got some, in, you know, enchantment on their creature because they're playing Voltron. And it's just like, okay, just let's just clear that stuff out. It's yeah. always enchantments that seem the most threatening, even though it's probably the artifacts because of the ramp aspect of it. The, the enchantments always do something where you're like, ugh. Well, a Mirari's Wake totally warps the game in totally. that person's favor. Anything. It, there are so many busted enchantments like Doubling Season, Parallel Lives, that if you don't deal with them, then you're very quickly losing much faster than you would be. All right. My number two, three, my number three. Haha, <laughs> and it costs three mana as well. It's Mimic Fat. Oh, yeah, this card's good. Why don't people play this card more? It gets, it sees play. I, it's not as big in our in our play group, but. It certainly is not an expensive card, which is sort of why it's one of my pet cards. Um, usually, it's, you can't say something like Consecrated Sphinx because one, everyone plays it, and two, Best it's <laughs> best my, kept secret. My pet card is Soul Ring. <laughs> Yeah, it's the same would, thing. Yeah, we should do an April Fool's episode with just that. Like, <laughs> I must underplay card is Sol Ring. <laughs> I was writing my list for all these pet cards, and I think I had like fifty cards on there. And of course, like there were de- ones that I was like, "This is not a pet card." <laughs> like, <laughs> That's yeah. just a really good card. No, Mimic yeah. Bat is it's East Play, but not a ton. And it does get you pet cards if you think about it. So it has imprint on it. Uh, whenever a token creature, whenever a non-token creature dies, you may exile that card. If you do, return each other card exile with Mimic Vat to its owner's graveyard. So it can only hold, quote-unquote, one creature under this card at one time. Otherwise, it returns the other cards you exile with it to the, the, the appropriate graveyard. But for three mana, uh, generic mana, you can tap it. And it says, put a token onto the battlefield that's a copy of the exiled card. It gains haste. Exile it at the beginning of the next end step. It's repeatable. If you have a way to untap Mimic Vat, you can do this multiple times in a turn. Um, it's great. It gains haste. You can swing whatever this card is. Uh, it could be a Crater Hoof Behemoth again. It could be so many creatures that do tons of amazing stuff. It could even be Mole Drifter, and I'd be happy. Oh, that's the best. But the really nice thing about this is that you get to essentially exile a creature as soon as it dies, no matter what the creature is. And if it's something like in a Carador deck that you really don't want that player returning, well, guess what? Mimic Vat is sort of an answer to that, and you also sometimes just get a sweet creature from it. So you could steal someone's awesome enter the battlefield triggers uh i think acidic slime would be sort of my top top choice for a mimic vat target yeah six slime's great i think the fact that you can take anyone's so somebody else plays a cool creature you're mm-hmm. like oh well, i want that sepulchral primordial has been a good one for you in the past as well oh <laughs> <Yes>. yeah in <laughs> the cube my goodness sepulchral primordial with uh on a mimic vat is just like that basically uh Raises Raised dead deads. from everybody's graveyard. So yeah. you get like every time you do it, you get like four creatures or something. Yeah, it's so, pretty nice. Yeah. Uh, you can also do this on defense. So it's always a chump blocker. Um, you can put out some crazy stuff with it. So I really enjoy Mimic Vat. Seems great. Seems I like great. it. Uh, All right. So my number three is Lurking Predators. It's a uh, enchantment from M10 for two green and four other. Uh, it says whenever an opponent casts a spell, 
reveal the top card of your library. If it's a creature card, put it onto the battlefield. Otherwise, you may put that card at the bottom of your library. Whoa. It's so good. Oh, it's so good. Every time you get this out, I'm just like, I can't play any spells. Because mm-hmm. if I do, he just gets free dudes. Craig's so I skits. typically play this in a lot of like creature-heavy decks like Carador or Rune. Um, I think uh, Scion of the Ur-Dragon has it in there just because I have a lot of things on a stick that I like to go for. And what I really like about this card is it's it's almost built in value because it happens on the cast trigger. So let's say they cast an, uh, an instant to get rid of that enchantment, right? I still get at least one effect off of it, yeah. which if I had topped or something like that or um, Miri's Guile or anything like that to kind of stack the top of my deck, I get a creature out of it. And uh, typically in those decks, I'm running creatures that are bigger than six, so... It's it's almost a way of you know cheating out a creature, guaranteed. Yeah. Um, and then in the case that they don't get rid of it with the first spell that they cast, I mean this this card has gotten me fifteen twenty creatures before. Yeah, sometimes it just goes crazy if somebody plays that and then like Armageddon's or something. Ugh. Then you just never can catch up because you're gonna have to play some spells just to get back in the game, and by that time the person's just gotten all these free creatures and yeah. it's like. Uh, and what are you going to do? Stop players from playing spells? They have to continue developing their board and just hope that Craig doesn't hit something crazy off of it, which in the decks that like this card, oh boy, get ready to party. Get se- ready to party. The second part, the May ability to tuck it at the bottom just adds a little bit more value because if it was a must ability, it makes it a little bit worse, right? Like right. let's say you come across your answer that you really need. You can leave that at the top and not get any more free creatures if you want. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Good card, good card. Very good card, yeah. Having Scry on there is quite nice. All right, my number three is Righteous Aura. It's one in a white for an enchantment. It says you can pay white and pay two life. The next time a source of your choice would deal damage to you this turn, prevent that damage. This very, card... Very Josh card here. Yeah, super, super Josh card. Um, this card's like really innocuous, but it, when you start seeing the interactions... It starts making sense why it's so good. Um, for one, it negates commander damage. Mm-hmm. So you, we've all been in that game where somebody's off to the side and they have you know whatever their general is, and all of a sudden they go boom, 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 Madrazi conscription, double strike it, attack you with flying, hit you for thirty commander damage, you're dead, and you're like, I was at forty, you know, and I didn't even know that could happen. This saves you in that situation because you just pay the two life, prevent the damage. And you actually didn't even take any commander damage. Yeah. You took two normal damage. It's not reduce that damage to two. It's prevent that damage. And then let's say Blightsteel Colossus comes out. It swings at you. You don't take any infect. You prevent the damage. You don't take any damage from it. You just take two regular damage. Let's say Mizzix does that thing that Mizzix likes to do, which is earthquake everybody for 40. Ooh, very nice. That's true. You take two. You don't take 40. And it only costs one white mana to hold up. So every time you get Righteous Or out, you just hold up the one white mana, and you basically can't die. Because you can <laughs> take... And, and the thing to do is not to prevent little chunks of damage. It's just to prevent those big chunks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, card's really good. Yeah, and it's one of those cards that would just save you and give you those extra turns. And while every, and the person that's trying to, to burn people out or, or ice them with a the commander is not going to be looking to you. Just, I don't think Mizzix can beat you, not in the not in the same way. It can do it with Gutter Snipe or something mm-hmm. with this out. You can't... And it's it's one of those cards also because it says pay two life. 
it hasn't been balanced for our format, right? Mm-hmm. That should say pay for life in our format. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Good call. Okay, my number four, Creeping Renaissance. Craig, you introduced me to this card, actually, and I've since put it in a lot of my decks, uh, specifically ones that are more tribal-themed or and have... Foil. And foil, yes, I saw absolutely. you invested heavily in foil when I was looking through your binder. It was very cheap. An entire page, if not two. Right? You have two pages of foil creepy if renaissance? No, not two pages. You, you have seven crazy. pages of foil creeping renaissance? I have an entire binder that's only foil creeping renaissance. You have expedition creeping renaissance? Yes. I pulled an expedition creeping renaissance at our last oath draft. It was a blast. <laughs> I love this. Um, so this card is great in tribal decks, decks like uh, uh, Super Friends decks. It says for three green green a sorcery choose a permanent type return all cards of the chosen type from your graveyard to your hand so that could be instant sorceries creatures enchantments planeswalkers you name it and the best part is you can flash it back for five green green and do it all over again um so creeping renaissance i think when i want a regrowth effect i want it to actually impact my my hand in this a nice is a regrowth way. effect this yeah. is a regrowth effect yeah if you for instance have a lot of instants in your deck and you've just blasted them all through Creepy Renaissance could get you like five cards back in an instant, which is really powerful. I love the value. Um, I love, obviously, regrowth effects in general because I love getting double use out of card. So Creepy Renaissance, one of my friends. Super good card. I use this a lot in my green-white tokens deck Mm -hmm. because I run a lot of enchantments that give them, you know, plus X, plus X or whatever or extra effects. And using this guy for enchantments is huge. Yeah, especially if you've got a deck with ones that people have to get rid of. Right. It's great because it's, it's you can run out a doubling season, try and get as much value out of it, and knowing that's going to get removed, and that you can creep and renaissance it back, and then do it again. And it's not limited to just enchantments, like you said. You use it for planeswalkers. I'm running a lot of planeswalkers in that deck. A lot mm-hmm. of instants. You know, I use it in like Titania that. for lands. Yeah, exactly. Oh, and yeah, the oh, second time you use it, that. you can do it for something else too. Yeah, you don't exactly. have to do it for sorcerers or instants or whatever again. Yeah, you can really choose good a point. New, new permanent. It's a great card. Yeah, I know, guys. I know it's great. It's a good card. It's, it's a good, good card. card. All right, Craig, what you got? So I, my number four is uh, Telepathy. <laughs> oh, God, this so is such a great card, too. It's an uncommon from M10 for one blue enchantment. It says your plant, your opponents play with their hands revealed. But not you. This but car, not you. This card is so awesome when you play it because it changes the whole game. The whole the game, The entire right? game, yeah. I, so I play it a lot in my Infect decks and uh, decks like Memnarch or Talrand where I, I want to know what my opponents have so I know what to counter or you know how to play around whatever my threats are that are not yet on the board. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I really love about this card is you can really create a political game out of something that wasn't really there before. And for one blue, you can get it out on turn one, so you know every play that's about to come out. You can talk about what other people are going to do. Um, it's really worked a lot in my favor. Um, and it's one of those things where it's like you can't really – nobody can really come after you and be like, oh, that's OP. Like everybody that I've brought up this card to is like, yeah, but it's not that good. And in my head, I'm like, yeah, but it like it really is. <laughs> it's The bigger the game gets, the better it is too because – your ability to manipulate everything is so much better when you have that knowledge. For one, let's say you've got a creature you're going to attack with. Well, you mm-hmm. know which people have removal spells and which don't. Yep. You and then you counters, also know, you know who has counters, who has answers to other people's things. You can be like, why don't you kill that Consecrated Sphinx? You know, normally people can just be like, I don't have anything that can do it. And be, right. But you absolutely, you're like, yes, you do. <laughs> you just want them to win. You know. Yeah, it's great leverage. Oh, it's it's crazy how good. I love it when you play it because I get to still right. have that same ability, even though I didn't play the card, except I don't know your hand, but I know everybody else's. 
But uh, a lot of people forget that one person's left out. You right. know what I mean? It's like, oh, I can see what he's playing and blah, blah, blah. And then once somebody gets rid of it, it's like, okay, you know, if you really want to be that player, you could be like, well, let me, you know, take a picture of each one of your hands before, you know, or whatever. Right. No one's doing Well, yeah. There's probably some people that would do that. But you in could, Commander. Yeah. Oh, there's absolutely people <laughs> that do that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a cool card. Real cool. It totally makes the game fun, too, which is a great thing, uh, you know, in Commander just to do in general is to have cards that the whole the whole thing that it does really is just make the game more fun. It changes up how the normal dynamic of the game works. Yeah. I actually didn't know this card existed, and I used to play Urza's Glasses yeah, so you just in, look. instead, but I, then I found out that, that was you had to tap it because it was a mono artifact and whatnot, and uh, then I found out that this card existed. And You just want all the informations. All of it. Give me it. Not to mention Telepathy was in our Metamite, the Ageless deck at the Community Cup. Nice. Well, Metamite has Telepathy. I mean, he it's Yeah, exactly. Uh, my number, what are we on? Four. Four, Four. is Mercurial Chemister. It's three and is it. So three uh, blue and a red. For a creature, wizard, human, two, three. It says pay a blue and tap the Chemister, draw two cards, or pay a red and discard a card. And Mercurial Chemister deals damage to target creature equal to the discarded card's converted mana cost. It's got everything it needs on one card. It's card draw and it's removal on one card. It's activated ability, so it combos well with my other favorite card, like Fate Stitcher. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. You want card draw in your deck, but you love card draw that's on another utility, right? Right. Because card draw is great, but at a certain point you have to do things. Mm -hmm. And this does things. It starts killing creatures. Yeah, and it uses the cards you draw as well. Yeah, if basically if you draw two cards and then you use one of them to kill a creature, you're still up a card. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I'm definitely putting Anger or Wonder into the graveyard with this guy if I'm ever going to play him. Yeah, for sure. All right, my numero cinco. It's a card we all know. I probably put this on my overperformance as well. Actually, did I? We have to check. Jimmy's checking so. really fast. I don't... It is not. What was I thinking back then? Gosh, I'm such a better player now, guys. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Gosh. Gosh, guys. Gosh, Josh. Gosh, Craig. It's Concordant Crossroads. And every time I talk about this card, everyone always, almost always goes, nah, I don't, I don't, I don't see why you like this card so much. This card is awesome. You, you almost got that out of me when you said it. I'm like, eh, but it gives everybody else's haste too. Yeah. People, people worried way too much about that. Right. Yeah, exactly. You're going to play it. Go ahead. You go. It, it costs a green. All right, it costs one for an enchantment. It's a world enchantment. It says all creatures have haste. And here's the thing. Your deck is built to use this card, and your deck is built to win with this card. If you're playing a deck that does not care about haste, then they do not benefit. And it's honestly such a good card to me because it just usually will take the game for you if you know when to play it. Because, it's, I mean, like, look, if you want to drop a Crater Hoof Behemoth, that's a big mana cost to play a huge creature. People can see it coming. You play something like Concordant Crossroads, you can play this and something else in the same turn and really get the maximum use out of this. I play it in my Dragon's deck. I play it in a lot of decks. I just want to get in there like Animar. Uh, and it's a great surprise, too, because people, usually for one green, you can't get something this powerful. Well, and green's not really a haste color. Red's a haste color. Right. So that's another reason they don't see it coming. And the, like you said, the one green is what makes it great because you don't play it and then just say go. You hold it in your hand until you're going to make a big play and then you play Concordant Crossroads also. Yep. So after you do that thing where... What's that new green card where you make a 4-4 for every creature everybody else has and then your 4-4s fight all their guys? 
How good is that with Concordant Crossroads? Because you make like 50 4 4s. Oh, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's uh, Azuri's predation. predation. Yeah. That with Concordant. Think of that. Yep. You know? Concordant Crossroads makes a lot of sense in any sort of token deck. Yeah. Like, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Anything that's going to dump like 20 guys out all in one turn. The problem with that is then you say go and hope that there's you still have 20 guys when it comes back around to your turn. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Azuri's predation is amazing. Uh for each creature your opponent's control, put a 4-4 green beast, and then each of those beasts fights a different one of those creatures. Yeah, you kill a bunch of things, drop and a concordant crossroads. swing at everybody. With, yeah, a ton. You can also do this with the, uh, I forget what it is, it's the Descent of the Dragons, I believe, where you, you can yep. kill any number yes. of creatures and you, you put some dragons in. <laughs> it's pretty fun. Um, so I like this card a lot, obviously. It's won me many, many games, and every time someone says they don't think it's a good card, I can only smile and say, well, I hope I play it against you and show you why it's great. I'm sorry, but you're wrong. I do have to say, I have played it in Infect and Tokens. Oh, it's amazing in Infect. I can even... I can't... <laughs> oh, ugh. Well, right. Craig and his Infect decks. Craig, why don't you talk about your next card, speaking of which... So, speaking of inf- Infect, my, uh, <laughs> my last card is what I like to use a lot as a game ender. Um, and it's a one black instant. It's called Tainted Strike. Uh, it's target creature gets plus one, plus zero, and gains Infect until end of turn. On so, the page, this looks awful. And then I thought about it, and now I really like it. Absolutely. So oh, it's good. So for a one black instant, if anybody at any point of the game is being attacked by a creature that's nine or more damage or getting trampled over for you nine or more damage, yeah. you slap this on there. Even if they're like gonna, they're going to dominate the, the board, sometimes they can't prevent nine damage. You slap this on one creature, and it's over. Well, a lot of people, times people are like, eh, I take it. Yeah, exactly. Because they know it's not going to kill them. Right. So they just decline to block, even though maybe they could, but they would have to chump. And it's mm-hmm. just like, it's only nine damage. I'm at 32 life. Like, I'll go down to 23. Big deal. Now, what I really love to do with this is combine it with something like Chandra's Ignition or Soul's yeah. Fire. And now, not only do you... Kill everybody. Yeah. You, with Chandra's Ignition, you just put it on a, a nine or more creature and kill everybody. With uh, Unless they have Righteous Aura. <laughs> Right, unless they have righteous aura. We should exactly play a game right. where we only play our pet cards against each other. Josh would deck himself with Mercurio Chemistry. Yeah. I would have haste on Dax Duplicate, which already has haste, and Greater Gargan, which you'd already have a has hasty, haste. You'd have a hasty um, Dax Duplicate, or sorry, Mercurio Chemistry. Yeah. You would have a hasty. Yeah, that's pretty good. Well, then Craig would steal it with Breacher. Ugh. But then I'd have to sack it to your creature. To your- <laughs> I would sack it to Greater Garganon. I think Greater Garganon wins this battle. Just uh, saying. That's a good point. Yeah, Tainted Strike is sick. Uh, that's amazing. It's it's so true. So many times people just take that damage. It's like, all right, cool. You die. <laughs> and the best part is, Craig, you made someone else kill someone with Infect. Exactly. You didn't even do it. Right. Master level trolling. <laughs> Master level trolling. <laughs> it's up there. All right, my number five is Sitinol. Hero fonts, hero fonts, hero fonts. Shavam, need you. <laughs> Don't know how to pronounce that word. Sitinol hero fonts. I think it's right. I'm just <laughs> going to go on the limb, and it's right. You did it. <laughs> I do not think it's right, but I whatever. Three and a green for a uh, sorry creature human druid. It's been oracled. Uh, it's a three two, so a four mana three two. It says creatures you control have tap add green to your mana pool. It makes hey. all your dudes into land elves also. What? They Pretty don't even good. have to be a certain creature type? Nope. What? Yeah, in an elf deck, this is sort of the ultimate card you want to drop because... Just any token deck, right? Tokens, so you, right? So you yeah. just play, like, you, I don't care, you got nine soldiers. You play Sentinel Hierophants, and now you've got nine extra mana that turn. Everything has Convoke, basically. 
Yeah, a little. Not it's quite green invoke, only, but kind of. It's yeah. green only. Yeah, yeah. Wow. This this card goes insane very quickly, uh, because a lot of times you do that and then you use that extra mana to make more tokens. Yeah, and if you have concordant crossroads out, you Ugh. can just very quickly get into. If you have like a uh, X token spells, so like pay something in X and make X tokens. Now let's say if you have two of those, all of a sudden, oh and, yeah, and a haste enabler, you're just like boom, boom, make a million dudes. Is this an enchantment? No, it's a it's a it's creature. A creature. Yeah. It's a creature. Okay, yeah. so he stays on the so it's a permanent. So yep. they the tokens that do enter do actually have that ability. It's yep. not like you instant put this on the stack and then your creatures come out and they don't have it. Yep. Nope. And they yeah, still all your it. creatures have it as long as the sitinol whatever. The hierophants yeah. have it as well. Every yep. creature, yeah. Yep. So wow. pretty sweet. Yeah, very good card. Um again, only if you're making lots and lots of creatures. But right. it's kinda got guys cradle levels of uh power level. Yeah, it's just not a land. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> you can't play it on turn two, you know. Uh, but hey, on the budget. A lot of, yeah, card. exactly. It that's a good that's a good point. It's sort of a budget guy's cradle, if you will. Yeah, good call. Uh, All right, so that does it for our top five pet cards of the moment. You know what I love about these lists? They're so us. So let's see. Look at Jimmy's list. He's got a huge red creature. <laughs> He's got two things that have or give haste. Yep. And two things that steal or create clones of creatures. Yep. yep. Okay, so let's look at Craig's. Craig's got, of course, Infect, and then a bunch of stuff that steals your stuff, and then something that looks at everybody to see what is in their hand. Yeah. And then I've got, like, a bunch of stuff that, like, basically stops everybody else from doing what they want to do. <laughs> <laughs> right? So Fun I please. destroy all your enchantments, make it so I don't take any damage, and anytime you target one of your creatures, it dies. Like, I yeah. don't have a single way to kill anyone in mine. Mercury, come, no, it's only creatures. Yeah. Sentinel Hierophants, you just make a lot of mana and then, I don't know, uh, play Hurricane. <laughs> That's guess. exactly do what whatever I would you do. do with a bunch of mana, <laughs> yeah. which is, yeah, like, exactly. anything. Yeah. <laughs> It's so like it's exactly our personalities encapsulated in five cards. Well, to the listeners, we encourage you guys to also make your own pet cards list and see if it really reflects your sort of play style. It's a great way to do sort of a a, a litmus test, I suppose, on on who you are as a psychoanalysis. Yeah, exactly. You're looking at the little the 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 ink blobs, aren't we? Yeah, we want to see your list of your five pet cards. Uh, please comment on Rocket Jump or on YouTube. You can email them to us, commandcast at rocketjump.com, or you can just put it up on Twitter. Uh, you can find us at commandcast, at JF Wong, at Josh Lee Kwai. We would love to hear what your pet cards are. Yeah, it's an interesting absolutely. exercise, too, because like doing this myself, as I said, I wrote down 50 cards, and then to really narrow it down, because you guys were like, five cards, man, five cards. I really had to think about it to to really narrow it down and be like, no, that's too powerful. That's not quite a pet card. That's really like characterized as like just good. Yeah, it's great. Hopefully, you guys uh, get to play some of these in your decks as well. Let us know if also your pet cards are our pet cards. It's always fun to know. Always fun to know. Also, we're going to learn a lot of cool pet cards from you guys. Yes, that's why we did this episode, honestly. Yeah, it's really just research for a future pet cards episode. <laughs> Two or three new cards that I never knew about tonight. So, I... Yeah, Tainted Strike is definitely going to be a card I will uh, get a couple of. Oh, no. Tainted Strike is going to be a, definitely going to be a card that I'm going to live in fear of. <laughs> yes. At all times absolutely. now. Every time someone attacks me for nine or more, I'm going to be like, what if somebody has Tainted Strike? <laughs> <Yeah>. better, <laughs> Everyone better be just holds right. one You'd black like, up and searches that Righteous Aura and... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, time for the end step where we talk about something cool outside the world of magic. So I recently saw a movie, The Big Short, which is about the housing crisis. It's got an all-star cast. I really didn't think much about it going into this movie, which I've heard from a few people really makes a great movie. Like if you don't think that something's going to be good when you go in, it turns out to be much better. If you're if you're <laughs> thinking true. it's going to be really so good, true. it tends to suck. So, you know, I went into this movie 
in the theaters kind of thinking like, yeah, I don't really know. My girlfriend wanted to see it, whatever. So go to see it. And of course I live through this, you know, like we all live through this and mm-hmm. it was, yeah, it's the subprime mortgage bubble, right? Exactly. Which happened in 2007, 2008. And it kind of follows these guys who played that market and bet on the U S to make this mistake and to not catch that the housing market was in this bubble and whatnot. And it sounds boring. It sounds very boring. But when you get into it and you see the levels of, I want to say corruption, you know, like there's, there's a lot of things that, you know, I don't want to get super political, but there, there certainly seem to be some things in, in this country and others that, you know, times have gotten ahead of themselves where we just haven't been able to properly regulate with the amount that we've been able to expand as a, as humans. But and, was uh, it compelling? Because that sounds like a documentary. Like I'm just right. saying as a person who like you before you went and saw it was like, so, I don't know. I don't know if I want to see a movie about that, but right. it, I'm super into documentaries. It did not play out like a documentary, though. Like, there was a lot of suspense. There was a lot of, since you lived through it, there was a lot of, like, oh, yeah, I remember that. And, oh, wow, that's cool that these guys were doing this during that time. And it just kind of makes you remember everything that happened. And it was very uh, uh, theatrical. There wasn't, it didn't feel like a documentary. You're definitely rooting for a certain person throughout the whole thing, if not a few, and definitely kind of condemning a few others. So, it uh, it definitely felt like a movie. It was long, but it didn't feel long. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just a, a very good movie from start to finish. And I, I actually like judge a lot of movies by if I would watch them again. And I could see myself watching this movie three, four, five more times. Wow. Okay, wow. sold. Now I'm gonna go see it. Absolutely. And you know the nice thing is, is also it's Adam McKay. He's he did Step Brothers, which was one of my favorite movies. So it is interesting to see. Interesting it's the guy to that see. did Step Brothers. Yeah, it's, I, it's it's great to see him do it does something. Not have that feel. That's much more serious. It's a lot of fun. It's got a crazy cast. Yeah, right? Absolutely. So, yeah. Okay. Um, make sure to check out our sister podcast, The Masters of Modern. Alex and Ben killing it lately. They had BDM on their last episode. Um, if you want to catch up on all things modern, listen to The Masters of Modern podcast. You can find them on rocketjump.com right next to us under the podcast tab, or you can follow them on Twitter at the MMCast. And make sure you check out our videos online at youtube.com slash the command zone podcast. Our editor for the show, Terry Robertson, really kills it. He uh, does a great job showing all the pictures and uh, oftentimes little uh, sort of Easter eggs in the videos as well. I love Terry. He's been adding his own little flair to the videos, and they've got a ton of personality now. They're way better than they used to be, even when I was editing them. Yeah, I can't give higher praise than that. Yeah, Terry, the you're killing it. Videos are fantastic, it. guys. Like I, I've been watching a lot of these at work. And like Kitchen Table Fables. Did you phenomenal. see those yet? Oh. You guys didn't even tell me that you guys came out with those yet. I didn't we even tweeted know that a those bunch. Had we tweeted all over the the Twitter. Yeah, I need to pay more attention to Twitter. Come on, man. <laughs> So tweet me out at Craig. Lynch we can Facebook. We can Facebook <laughs> Craig, and he will never respond. Like, like never. Yeah, it's true. This is yeah. true. It is tough to get a hold of. I stay off Facebook because it doesn't go on me. the internet. It's yeah. just like everybody being like, "Look at my life," blah blah blah, and it, like, a yeah, lot Craig, of it, I just look at don't our life. Care. We just I'm released sorry Kitchen about, Table but Fables. I just don't care about your baby that you he just doesn't had. care about Kitchen Table Fables, and he does not care about babies. You heard it here first, right. guys. Also, special thanks to Jeffrey Palmer for the Living Card animations that are on the videos we were just talking about. You can find him at Living Cards MTG. Please send all these people our love and check them out. And hey, you know what? We'll see you next time. Peace. Thank you for your attention. For further inquiries, send an email to commandcast at rocketjump.com. Or ask us on Twitter at JF Wong and at Josh Lee Kwai. 
See you later, alligator. Greetings, humans. <laughs>